This show is for the sales leader who knows they have a pivotal role in driving outstanding sales results. Getting hired or promoted to manage a sales team is a big accomplishment, but you know you have to work hard to become a great sales leader. You are listening to the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. Here's your host, coach and advisor to elite sales leaders from around the world, Matt McDarvey. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. I'm Matt McDarby, veteran seller, leader, coach and advisor to elite sales leaders all over the world. I'm really excited to have you join and listen to today's episode. This is one of our interview episodes, and I'd like to introduce you to my very special guest right now. I'm absolutely thrilled to have my friend Kevin O'Keefe on the show today. Kevin is currently the CEO at Profit Key ERP. He's the executive chairman as well at AdvancedSales.ai, the creators of SalesPath Plus. It's a fantastic opportunity management tool for, for Salesforce CRM. We'll probably talk about that later. But before all of that, what he's doing today, before all of that, Kevin has served in sales leadership and executive leadership roles, mainly in the technology industry for a long time. He's a Wharton grad, former competitive swimmer, despite the fact that he is a Philadelphia Eagles fan. He's an all-around nice guy. I like him very much, and I've enjoyed uh, my time getting to know him. So please welcome Kevin O'Keefe. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. My pleasure to be here. So let's dive in, Kevin, because we've got a little bit of time to take advantage of all you've learned about sales leadership and leading in general. So my first question for you is, what's the most important lesson you've learned so far about leading a sales team or sales organization? Yeah, and I'd say this is true, Matt, of leading any team. But I mean, I think we need to always make the distinction between management and leadership. Too many people believe that because they get a title that automatically people are going to follow them and respect them. And so to me, the most important lesson that I've learned is if you want to be successful and get your team motivated and focused on the prize, you need to inspire them, right? And I would tell you, inspiration comes from competence. So uh, you're going to hear me say this time and time again, but if you take on the role of a leader, you need to put in the time to build a plan that's detailed, that your people will believe in. Because what I find is, and I, you know, I made my bones early when I got into management as a turnaround guy. And a lot of that is you need to stand in front of your team and you need to paint the picture about how you're going to take the mountain. And people are intelligent. And uh, so they need to believe in that. And so time and time again, I'll come back to that, which is if you want to inspire people, put a plan in place. They're smart. They'll recognize if that plan holds water. And that's the secret of leadership. It's not yelling and screaming and barking at the sales team. It's about giving them a vision that they can buy into. That's great summary. Do you have to be the smartest guy in the room? Do you have to be the one who knows the subject matter better than everybody else in order to be able to put that plan together and describe it to the team? Uh, What's your experience? Well, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room, but you need to be capable and competent in the material. And I would say also, if you're leading a sales team, your job is not to be the smartest technical guy on the team. You have technical people, but you need to be fluent in the language of business. 
And so one of the things that I found over my Wharton education was a great benefit to me because I could, I knew accounting, I could read a balance sheet, I knew what a P&L was. If you want to lead your team, you need to become a good businessman. You need to take extra courses, but you need to understand the way that business works because that's what you're in. You're a businessman. And so I would say you don't have to be the smartest person in the room, but you need to be capable and competent in the disciplines that are required for you to lead that team. One of the things I've talked to other guests on the show about is how important it is to, and I think this links up, be able to lay out a vision, not only what are we trying to achieve and why is that important, but how do we need to get the work done? Which I think kind of gets to what you're talking about here. How can you be a credible leader if all you ever talk about is what we're trying to achieve and why it matters, but you can't describe to people how the work needs to be done? You are exactly hitting upon it. I mean, because, I mean, too many sales leaders will rant, you know, and I'm, I'm glad I'm a sales leader, so don't, don't get me wrong. I'm proud that I'm in that fraternity, but regurgitating what the goal is, the team knows what the goal is. They know what the team goal is. They know what the company goals are. They know what their goals are. What they're interested in is the how. And so that's really what they want. When I say put a plan together, it is telling every member of the team how they fit in the plan, what they're responsible, and then to continually coach on best practices because we're going to get that we're going to achieve our goals we're going to climb this mountain together this is your role and let me as your coach help you build the skills that are going to be necessary for you to win i mean and that's at the you know so you've got to build a plan that people will believe in but you know you need to explain every individual's role in the plan and then you can't let them be out there on an island You've got to coach them up, get them proficient in the skills that they need, and then help them achieve their goals. So when I look at your career, global sales leader, CEO, GM, d district sales guy, I mean, it's sort of, that's sort of the, you run the gamut in terms of selling and leading and executive leadership roles. So either you love leading or you're a glutton for punishment, Kevin, because you've been doing this a long time. So, so my question for you is, I'm going to presume you love leading. What is it that you love most about leading a sales organization? Well, Matt, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm an adrenaline junkie <laughs> as an ex-college as, as ex athlete. And uh, that's part of the thrill of sales to me is, is winning. It's like any game on Sunday, you want to win. So there's an adrenaline to that. There's a, a certain reward in accepting the challenge and helping people get over the goal. So there's the what I would call the emotional component of sales, which is I love to win, hate to lose. All great salespeople will say the same thing. But then there's the, the science of sales, which is the intellectual piece of it. It's strategic, building a plan. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, when it's all said and done, it's knowing that I've got a satisfied customer. And that is, you know, it. So sales can kind of, for me, uh, feeds all the parameters of my psyche. Probably my wife will tell you I'm over-competitive and other people have told me that, but that's fulfilling for me. And that's what I love about sales uh, is the winning, accepting the challenge, and then 
the intellectual component of sure. putting a strategy together and seeing it through the end. One of the things that I've heard, and there are patterns, not surprisingly, in the conversations I've had with other people who've led sales organizations, they don't say it the same way, but I've heard, I know I've said it myself too. I've heard people say that one of the best parts of leading a sales organization is seeing other people win, right? It's the, or helping other people to realize just how much they've grown. And so being there with them at the finish line is a key component. So I presume that's part of it too, right? It's, it's seeing others compete and win. I would say in a general purpose way, I mean, I would say that lesson exceeds just managing sales. I mean, to me, if you want to accept the mantle of a leader, you need to accept the fact that there's a social contract that exists between you and your team. And that social contract is your team needs to understand that you will do anything to get them to the goal uh, and that you are as committed to them as you expect them to be committed to you. And so that to me is just, if you're going to manage any team, whether it's a sales team, a finance team, you're always going to ask people to do a lot of hard work and they need to understand that you are committed to their success. Lots of different people call that lots of different things. I call it the social contract. But once you establish that emotional component with the team, that the team realizes that you're in it for their success, then, then you'll get the multiplier effect, which is their motivation, their internal motivation. So, so I would say you're right, 100%. I'd say that particular lesson supersedes whether you're a sales leader or you're leading a company. Yeah, fair. Okay. Yeah, I understand what you mean. You know, one of the things I think about, and I'm going to try not to project too much, but I can think of at least one experience where I was a frontline leader and I can totally relate to the social contract idea, what you were just talking about, right? I am here for them. That's the deal, right? I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever I can to help them be successful. But I've been in at least one environment where the people that I reported to didn't necessarily have the same sort of contract with me, right? They weren't necessarily interested in my development or the environment they created. And that was challenging. So it was, it's an example of how you have your social, that contract with your team. Sometimes the environment, executive leadership, people you report to, the chief sales officer doesn't look at it the same way. I'm calling that out as an example of a challenge I've found particularly difficult to address. And the way I've addressed it is I've just taken it head on with that senior leader. Like, look, this is, <laughs> this is what we need to, we need to change the dynamic here. So all this is a long-winded way of coming around to. So that's a challenge I've faced. What have you found to be the most challenging part of leading people, leading a team, whether it's a sales organization or a whole company? What's been the most challenging thing? The hardest thing for me has been, as I've matured as a leader, is to understand that not everybody has the same motivation or they have the same satisfaction you know, in their job as I do. One of the things that I've had to learn over time is just because someone is willing to make some of the sacrifices that maybe I'd be willing to make to get to 110%, that doesn't mean they're not a great performer. Now, I mean, in my, in, in my world, I mean, what I think is I, part of my culture is that, look, quota is minimum performance. And so people, they have to get to 100%. But, you know, other people... They have a, a personal life that they value maybe a little bit more than I do. There's a different combination for them to be happy. And so what I've had to learn is 
to try to really get to know to get to know my team more than you know the, who are they more than what they are at work. I mean, what is the totality of their personality? What's their family life like? And for me, that was very challenging for me because I'm just a, as again, in some ways it's a, it's been a strength, and other times it's been a, a weakness. I'm hyper focused on, boy, I got to be 110, I got to be 112%. And I've made sacrifices in my life to do that. Not everyone, if someone isn't willing to make certain sacrifices, that doesn't mean that they're a bad performer. And so to me, the challenge of becoming a leader is being able to see my team, the team member in all of the dimensions and accepting it. And so I'd say that's been, for me personally, that was a challenge. And I have to work, I still have to work at it every day. Yeah. Driving great sales results is hard. Doing it consistently is even harder. There are so many obstacles that can prevent you from becoming the most effective sales leader you can be. Find practical advice you can apply right away by picking up your copy of Matt's book, The Divine Comedy of Sales, at www.divinecomedyofsales.com. One of the things I can relate to that, and again, it's a similar notion to something I heard from another interview about, I don't know, four or five episodes ago, Brian Delman said, where's the effect? Like, I have to remember, they're not me, right? They're just not, right? And that could mean either in terms of capability, motivation, energy level, whatever. But to build on that, once you realize it, you then have to make decisions about how you engage with these people. You would engage with them differently. And one of the reasons you would do that is... Maybe because of their level of energy or they're motivated by different things, or they just want to put the work away at six o'clock and be done and then come back at nine, they approach the work differently and that's okay. But coach, what that means is you're probably making decisions about where should I invest my time? Is that the, like the highest potential member of my team? Is that the person I can expect to kind of push? They're going to grow. And if I invest, am I going to get a big payoff for my time? And presumably the answer could be, No. So I think one of the things that would result from what you're talking about is you're making different decisions about how you coach and develop people based on what you know about them. Is that right? Well, that's absolutely right. Every person is different and every, you know, you should, you know, you have to coach everybody differently. But I think as a sales leader, one of the kind of maxims that I try to understand is, look, if you want to have a successful sales operation, then, you know, what you need to do is coach in the middle, right? In other words, if you look at the sale, if you look at your organization as a bell curve, where you really make it is if you can get 90% of your team, 90% of goal, okay? Because you're going to have the superstars. That That's not where you really need to invest your time. Where you want to invest your time is, you know, I hate to put you things like a B or C, but the normal performer, the regular person, your job is to coach them up, invest your time in them so that they have a reasonable expectation of getting the quota. All right. And if you do that across the bulk of the team, the, the meaty part of the curve, then you're going to have a successful organization. And so Again, you don't have to have everybody at 115% to make quota, but you need to have that 80% of people pretty much getting the quota. 
And so with that in mind, it's okay if someone wants to go home at six and come in at nine, but they got to be a quota. Yeah. I mean, and your job is to get them the quota and it's their job to make sure that they're doing everything they can to get the quota. So the one thing I love about sales is, uh, you know, we don't, we don't clock, we don't clock in. <laughs> yeah. yeah <sure. laughs> and so, and so it's the job is to get people to quota. Okay. And understand that everyone has is different. As you said, everyone's different. One of my clients uses, uh, they call it breath, B-R-E. E-A-D-T-H, breadth of participation. So they're looking at contribution, right? And that's my percentage in every team. So as a leader, it's a really critical metric. If you have low breadth of participation, that's trouble, right? That means you're probably, you get great performance from a couple of people and the rest are sucking wind. But if you have a high level, a high breadth of participation, it means you're doing kind of what you're describing. It's like, I'm, I figured out a way to lift the middle and get everybody at least to target. That that's exactly right. In fact, you know, and I will tell you what I what I do in I've done in many of my organizations is for management, frontline management and second line management, I put in a metric, a KPI that they have to get X number, you know, a, a high percentage, ninety percent of their people to quota. Uh-huh. Okay, because you want to measure management, right? And management and, and leadership and coaching. In my mind, if you make the number because you have one guy at 300% or one account, you're not really doing your job. Your job is to inspire and lift that team. And so I, you know, in addition to making the, the goal, the revenue goal, I mean, I also think management needs to be me- measured on what, as you say, what breadth of their team is achieving quota? And I also throw in there for a kicker, and are you plus or minus 5% of your forecast accuracy? So you take a look at that, make the number, make sure that you've got breadth of, you know, across the team for achieving quota, and you're paying attention to your business and forecasting accurately. If you're hitting on those three cylinders as a manager, then you're you're in the A class. Yeah. Yeah. And that second metric, forecast accuracy, is all about how well do you know your business, right? Are you know, are you really, really tuned in or not? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So let's keep the conversation going. Like I've said a couple of times, you've had all sorts of different experiences, a lot of different leadership roles. And I presume you've had influences over time, people that you've seen that were like models of greatness and you, you know, it's, I'm going to, I'm going to do what she's done or approach the way he's done. Who's had the most influence on your work as a leader? Uh, I would tell you, I, you know, I can't you know, identifying one person. I, I will say, look, I've had the, uh, I've had the great privilege of working with some tremendous sales guys. I mean, I date myself starting in 1977, you know, working with a bunch of ex-IBM guys, peddlers from you know, IBM on Honeywell. But I, I, but I would think about this, and I think you know there are really three people in my life that have really had an indelible impact on who I am as a person. First was my father, who I would quote here saying, "Don't leave it in the pool." My father was the guy was a guy who, like an age grouper, would drag me to practice twice a day. Probably gave up most of his life. But I could, you know, I was pretty good swimmer. I mean, I could win a race by a lap. And if my father would look at the watch and he wasn't my best time or close to it, 
he wasn't very satisfied with it. And I could get third place or eighth place, but if it was my best time, he felt like you really, you didn't leave it in the pool. You put your maximum effort. So I think that's a lesson for everybody that wants to move up the chain and be a successful manager, which is, you know, you've got to give it your all. And then I had a coach, a guy named David McIntyre, all-American swimmer at North Carolina State, became my coach, but he was an intellectual as well as a swimmer. And he had a great ability to communicate with through great oratory. And I learned a lesson from that. I mean, the ability to publicly speak and stand in front of your team and, and find a way to get into their heart. It's a gift you should work. Everyone should work on. If they, if they want to lead a team, they've got to be able to be a, become a great communicator. And I'd say last, a guy named Ray Hermo, who actually promoted me into my first meaningful sales a position, uh, gave me my first district job, and then ultimately um, gave me my first uh, regional director job where I, where I would get to manage other managers. But what Ray, what Ray taught me was, you know, Ray, it was obvious to Ray, uh, Ray Hermo, that um, he was as interested in my success as he was in his own. And that was inspiring. I and mean, I would do anything for that guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because he took a chance on me. And I, and, and I would say this Ray was a guy that, you, that would be, that was willing, if he identified talent, he was willing to say, that's, I'm going to, even if that guy, and I did, I will tell you right now, I did not fit the mold of this particular company. I was not a traditional IBM guy, and all of our guys were former IBM guys. But he stuck with me, picked me up, and it was as clear to me that he was living the social contract. And that was inspiring to me. So I gave you three. That's that so. works for me. Yeah, the la and the last one, I think for sure we can hear in your answer that you gave in minute three of this conversation, right? That, that That's right. Yeah. Is that direct influence and in how you thinking about how you think about leading? Dads come up a lot. I asked people this question. My dad certainly did. He had big influence, right? And so moms too, for the moms listening. But you know, we pay close we pay close attention to the lessons of our parents and how not only how hard they work, but what do they try to encourage in us? And what where do that's Where do right. they give us grace? Like, hey, you didn't win, but you got your best time ever. That's meaningful, right? So very cool. Okay. I'm going to ask you one last question, Kevin, like I typically do at the end, which is just sort of a catch-all. What did we miss? What else, Kevin? What else do we need to know about leading or leading sales teams specifically that we haven't already talked about? Let me leave you with this, Matt, okay? Nothing good happens by accident. <laughs> All right? I mean, this is... My mantra, whether you're a seller and, you know, you need to have a sales process, you know, you got to have a plan to win the business. If you're a sales leader, you got to pay attention to detail and build a plan. So again, nothing good happens by accident. Yeah. It requires hard work. It requires developing a vision, developing your own culture. What is it? But but you start, you need to build it from the the ground up because everything comes from preparation. Yeah. I guess uh, Sun Tzu in the Art of War said, you know, the battle is won 
before it starts because of preparation. And I would just leave that with everyone, right? If you want to win, if you want to have a successful career, it, it takes forethought, preparation, and planning. Nothing good happens by accident. Great. A great way to end. I'll add one more thing to that, though. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gild the lily here and say, for all of those things to happen, you need to make time. You have to set time aside to be prepared and think critically and get ready, right? Absolutely. So let's make good use of time. Kevin, fantastic. It's been a lot of fun to have this conversation. I know we could probably go on for a few more hours about leadership and things you've learned. I, I love talking sales, Matt. So anytime you want to get together. I know it. I know it. Well, well, we're going to have a season two starting soon. In the meantime, so in a moment, I'm going to summarize a few of the things you shared for our audience here. But before I do that, thank you. This has been fantastic. I'm really glad you were able to make the time to join the show. Thanks, Matt. It was great to be here with you, and thanks for having me. It was such a great conversation with Kevin. The challenge we have in these 30-minute or less conversations is trying to encapsulate the experiences of people have been leading organizations, sales organizations, or entire companies for decades. Right? We've, we've done this several times now. So I just want to pull out a few of the kind of gems from, from what Kevin said. Some of them line up with uh, things we've heard from other leaders, and then some of them were, were unique to, to Kevin's perspective on the job. So in no particular order, Kevin talked about the social contract between you, the leader, and your team. And that, in essence, that social contract is, the deal is here, I'm here for your success, for your development. And that that really is hopefully the spoken, if not unspoken, contract between you and your team. He said a few other things about inspiration and motivation. He said, when it comes to leading, inspiring your team really depends on competence, on the competence that you demonstrate to them. There's something that he said later in the conversation, I think that links up directly with that. And he said, sort of jokingly, nothing good happens by accident. But he explained what he meant by that was planning and preparation, even in those situations where it seems like good outcomes are kind of happening by chance. They really aren't. That those things happen because we are prepared, because we've invested time to plan. And if you think about demonstrating competence to your team, which draws and, and drives inspiration, according to Kevin, demonstrating competence connects directly with planning and preparation. How can I come off as competent in, in the business? How can I come off as competent in our subject matter, if I haven't prepared, if I haven't practiced, maybe in front of a mirror, right? If I haven't been rehearsing conversations with people, or if I haven't fully prepared, how will I explain an important concept to my team? How will I help them see how we're going to execute a key initiative? Because if I do that well, if I demonstrate competence in front of them, that's going to inspire their best effort. Kevin said something that sounded very familiar to me, something we've heard from at least a few people who've been on the show. I know I've said it in different ways. One of the really critical challenges for us is to remember that the people that we lead are not us. And in his words, not everyone is as, is as motivated as me. Kevin is a high energy guy, you probably hear that. High level of motivation, seriously hyper-competitive. Well, not everybody's that way. So the challenge for a leader who is wired the way Kevin is, the way I am, the way others are, is to remember that we can't just assume that the things that motivate us are the same things that motivate them. 
He said something else kind of midway through our conversation. We were talking generally about leading and, and what does it take to be really great at the role? And he said, find a way to get into their heart. A great way of articulating that. I think it's the way I've said it in the past is we really have to understand what people on our teams are trying to achieve. I think that connects with what Kevin is saying here. Find a way to get into their heart. Find a way to understand what's important to them. Find a way to understand what motivates them, how they're motivated, what inspires them. In addition to our competence, there are other factors that drive inspiration in a team. We've got to invest the time to find a way to understand those things, individual by individual, on our teams. So I'm sure you can take away, if you were taking notes as you're listening to Kevin's wisdom here, Maybe you took away a few other key points, but those are the key ones for me. And I so enjoyed this conversation because look, you know, Kevin's had so much success, uh, great pedigree, and has a lot of uh, well-earned wisdom when it comes to leading others and leading sales organizations. So I wanna thank Kevin once again. For our next episode, I will be talking with an old friend and former colleague, a wildly successful chief sales officer and chief revenue officer nowadays, who uh, well, has a lot to share. I think you're gonna be knocked out by that episode. Until then, this is Matt McDarby, author and host of the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye for now.